Father, thank you for your word. I've been praying Deuteronomy 4.10 that you would gather people and cause them to hear from heaven. And Father, I just pray Luke 5.1 that, that people would press in to hear your word. And as we do, Father, I thank you that Galatians 4.19, Christ is formed in us. He's more completely formed in us. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we grow in grace and knowledge, in the knowledge of you and how much you love us. And we thank you for it in the name of our Lord and best friend, Jesus. And if you agree, would you just say amen? How many know it's really important to be in the right place at the right time? How many of you have ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or the wrong place at the right time, apparently, if things didn't go for you. I read a story just the other day about a man who was in just the right place at just the right time. And it's applicable to what we're going to talk about this morning. The title of today's message is Rising with the Resurrection. Rising with the Resurrection. We just celebrated Easter Sunday, and we're going to continue that theme this morning, how we can rise with the resurrection. So I heard a story of this man who was a famous bagpipe player. How many of you like the bagpipe? I think it's a beautiful instrument. I don't think I have enough air in my lungs to be a bagpipe player, but I heard this story that he he received an invitation to play at a funeral for a homeless man, a very popular man in great demand, but the funeral director called this bagpipe player and said, I've I've got a homeless man that I'm going to bury, and he doesn't have any friends, doesn't have any family. I just feel so bad for this man. Would you come to the cemetery? It's going to be in the pauper's grave, way back in the back countryside, way back in the mountains. Would you come at thus and so time and just play something for this man as we lay him to rest? And the bagpipe player looked at his schedule and this was before Google Calendar, but he looked at his schedule and, and saw that he was open. He said, I'll do that. I, sure, I'll come out. And so, so he was driving and trying to find the, the cemetery, and he, he got lost. This was before Siri, and this was before Alexa, and this was before GPS. And so the bagpipe player got a little bit turned around, a little bit lost, finally made it to the to place he was going, and he was about an hour late. And as he drove in, all he saw were the workers that were shoveling dirt, and and everybody was gone. There was no hearse, there were no flowers, there was no no anybody there. Everybody was gone, and and the men were sitting down eating lunch, and and he walked up in this giant hole in this big mound of dirt and looked down and saw this giant concrete lid, and and, uh, he he felt so sorry for the man that had been buried. He he said, well, I'm going to play anyway. These guys, you know, are here. He said, do you all mind if I play something? They said, no, sure, go ahead. So we began to play, and, and he reached deep down within his soul. He, he just poured everything he had into playing for this homeless man who had no friends, no family. And, and as he began to play, he, he went really deep within his soul, and he looked, and one of the workers began to cry and, and began to weep, and then another one began to cry. And all of a sudden, this bagpipe player is, is weeping and crying. And, and when he was done, it was, it was just a, almost like a holy hush filled the area. And he bowed his head and, and he walked back to his car. His heart was so full because he had given everything for this homeless man. And just as he was getting in the car, one of the workers came up and said, Sir, he put his hand on his shoulder and he, the man turned around and the worker said, Sir, I've been installing septic tanks for years and that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You'll get that on the way home. <laughs> it's so important to be at the right place at the right time. Okay, we can go home now. It's not going to get any better. But I read in Acts chapter 17 where the great apostle Paul, some of you are just now getting that, like, oh, he was at a grave. It was a septic tank. Ha, ha, ha. I read in Acts chapter 17. We won't take time to look at it, but I want you to, to look at that when you get home. Acts chapter 17, the great apostle Paul, 
he finds himself at just the right time and just the right place. He's in the city of Athens. Athens is the capital city in Greece. And as he's walking through, he sees idol upon idol upon idol. There, the history tells us there were more idols in the city of Athens than any other city possibly even combined. And so Paul's preaching Jesus. He's preaching this new message. He's preaching this new Resurrection. I don't have time to get in all the history behind Acts 17, but you should read it. It's, it's a very powerful story. And so Paul was taken to the, the chief council of the men in Athens, and they said, tell us about this God, because, see, they were the gatekeepers to anything that would come in the city. Athens was a very religious city. It was very, quote-unquote, spiritual. They had all kinds of idols, all kinds of temples, and Paul comes in preaching a new message that Jesus died, that God raised him from the dead, and now that, that we can receive eternal life from him. And so this, these, this group of elders, the governors, the mayors, they quiz him and they say, tell us about this God. And, and you've read the story. He said, I perceive that you're very religious. He said, as I was coming in, I noticed an inscription in a, on an idol to the unknown God. And Paul said, the God that you've been worshiping, that you didn't know who it was, I'm telling you about that unknown God. And then Jesus was preached in Athens and many received Christ. Now, why does that help us today in our story? Why does that help us in our lesson? Because we're going to read something from 1 Corinthians. Now, Corinth was also a city in Greece, and it was the little sister of Athens. Whatever happened in Athens happened in Corinth. Kind of like Nashville and Knoxville. If something was popular in Athens, it was popular in Corinth. And so Paul goes and he preaches, and we have two letters now. Maybe, maybe three are out there, but we have record of two. We have two letters where Paul wrote to this church in Corinth, and there's a problem amongst the believers. There's a group of people in Corinth who follow after the big city Athens, and they're saying that the resurrection never happened. They're saying that you can't rise from the dead because every dead person they'd ever known died and stayed dead. Same for us, right? Every dead person I've ever known has died and stayed dead. And so Paul begins to share in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a marvelous chapter on the resurrection. It's a marvelous chapter. It goes into a lot of detail. But I want to look at just a few verses this morning. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. And let's start out in verse 3. And because Paul was in the right place at the right time, he was able to share Jesus. People were born again, and that allowed the gospel to go to the city of Corinth. Paul said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. So he's talking about what is most important. What is the most important thing in our Christian faith? Is it God's grace? Is it His love? Is it, is it His joy? Is it His peace? What is the most important thing in our Christian faith? Well, look what Paul says. He says, I passed on to you what was the most important and what's been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. Now look at verse 4. This is the most important thing. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as scriptures say. There's a group of people who saying there is no resurrection, who saying you can't rise from the dead. Christ didn't rise from the dead. So Paul here goes on to verse 5. He says, Jesus was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And look at the next verse. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, meaning if you don't believe me, go ask them. They were an eyewitness. I'm not just telling you this story from folks that have all died. There are people that are still alive that you can ask them about the resurrection. And it says most of whom are alive, though some have died. Now look at verse 7. And it says he was seen by James and all 
the apostles. Now, we won't read it for time's sake, but write this down. Verse 12 through 19. Verses 12 through 19, Paul goes into this tremendous discourse about what would happen if there was not a resurrection. And let me give you the summary. You'll see it on the screen. Let me give you some realities of no resurrection. This is all found in verses 12 through 19. Check it out. It's very powerful. Because if there is no resurrection, we have a problem. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then all preaching is useless and vain. Meaning for the past 18 years, everything I've said behind a microphone means nothing. Not only that, but another reality of no resurrection is all faith is a useless delusion. How many of you legitimately have trust and hope and faith in God and in His Word? You know you really have a hope and a sense. It is useless if there is no resurrection. The apostles are all lying about God. They're a false witness against God if there is no resurrection. Not only that, but I'm still guilty in my sin. I can labor and labor and labor under sin, and the only wage that it will ever pay is death. I'm still guilty if there is no resurrection. There is no hope of eternal life, but only either non-existence or eternal death if there is no resurrection. We are to be pitied, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, more than anyone in the world. If you are a Christian and you believe the resurrection and it didn't happen, you are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. How I many know there's some sorry people in our world out there? I meet them driving on Interstate 40 all the time. There's some really sorry people out in this world. But if there's no resurrection and I'm a Christian and I believe in that, I've put my hope in that, then I'm, I'm to be more pitied than anyone else in the world. But friends, there is a resurrection. Look at verse 20 in 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul summarizes it by this. But in fact... Not a, not a supposition, not a, uh, a hypothesis here, not something that we can't prove. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvest of all who have died. Do you know why Jesus is the first of the great harvest? Because I'm a part of that harvest. And if you've received Jesus as your Savior, you are a part of that harvest. And ladies and gentlemen, we can rise with the resurrection, not only in the life to come, not only in the future kingdom of God, but right now in this earth, in this day and time, we can rise with the resurrection. So let me give you very quickly, look at this next screen, four realms of rising with the resurrection. How many know alliteration is our friend? It doesn't top last week, but it's close. Four realms of rising with the resurrection. And again, I've never heard anybody preach this. This is all something I felt the Lord gave me. And so God gave me alliteration. Don't you there judge it. Can I have an amen? <laughs> Four realms of rising with the resurrection. You got, how boring would our sermons be if we didn't have alliteration? I mean, seriously. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Some of you are saying, ah, oh, they're still pretty boring with it. Ah, oh, watch it, watch it. Ephesians chapter 2. This is awesome. We're going to rise with the resurrection. Let's read a few passages here. Now, we're going to get into some things that are a little bit mature, uh, a, little bit, uh, a little bit deeper than, than what may just you see on the surface, but I think it will help us in a great way. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. How many of you can raise your hand and say, that was me. Man, once I was dead because of my disobedience and my many sins. It says in verse 2, you used to live in sin. Now, this is something we need to take note of. As Christians, we should not live in sin. 
How many of you are Christian and you have sinned before? Hey Amen. How many know it's one thing to, to sin, but it's another to live in sin. It's another to walk in sin. And I heard a preacher say one time, we shouldn't practice sin because you only practice things that you want to get better at. <laughs> you only practice things that you need to improve in. So we shouldn't be practicing in sin, shouldn't be living in sin. It says you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil. You see, you thought you lived for yourself. You thought you lived on your own. You thought you were in control, but you were living for the devil. And it says, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit that is at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. That's powerful. That is absolutely powerful. Now, let's go on to the next one in verse 3. All of us used to live that way. We followed the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our own very nature, we were subject to God's anger. This is verse 3. By our very nature, somebody say nature. By our very nature, that's key, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Meaning if you are not a friend of God, you are an enemy of God. I know in our world of inclusivism and however else you're supposed to say that, and that's as hard to say as his last name, praise God. In a world where everybody's included and everybody gets a participation trophy and everybody gets this, and, 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 and my kids get participation trophies at school, and I'm like, oh, dear me, just keep it, please. You didn't win. <laughs> you don't need a ribbon. You didn't win. But not, not everybody feels that way, I guess. But in a world where, you know, we, we can't offend anybody, in a world where we have to be so politically correct, the truth is if you're not a friend of God, you're an enemy of God. Now, there's been a way made through the resurrection where everybody can be a friend of God. But if I'm not on God's side, then I'm subject to God's anger. I'm getting on the right side of God, ladies and gentlemen. i got one person that's going to join me. So notice this here. But God is so rich in mercy. Look at verse 4. God is so rich in mercy. When you feel down about yourself, God is rich in mercy. And He loved us so much. Say that with me, ready? But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much. How can you be depressed when God loved us so much? How can you be discouraged when God loved us so much? Now notice this here in verse 5. Even though we were dead because of our sins, we were dead because of our sins. He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. Because of the resurrection, God gave us life. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. Now I want you to see verse 6. We're rising with the resurrection. So we see this, this person in this passage who is dead in sin. They're without hope. They're subject to God's anger. They can't do anything to deserve God's goodness and forgiveness. That was me before the Lord. Now notice this here, but He raised us from the dead along with Christ. So not only did God raise Jesus from the dead, but He reached down and He raised me from the dead at the resurrection. So I, I can rise with the resurrection. So God raised me from the dead along with Christ and seated us, seated me. I am seated with Christ in heavenly realms. I didn't just make the word realm up to put in alliteration. It's in the Bible, praise God. There's a method to my madness. We're now seated with Him in heavenly realms. So if you have such a high calling, and if you have such a high position, why do we continue to make such low decisions? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time we rise with the resurrection because we are united with Christ Jesus. So I want to give you very quickly this morning 
four realms of rising with the resurrection. We're going to get into some new things. This is some things you've never seen. Number one, check it out on the screen. Revelation and illumination. Revelation and illumination. Humanity is blind to the fact that we need a risen Savior. Humanity alone is is blinded that we need a Savior because of our sin. So with the resurrection comes a revelation that I need a Savior. Well, why would God crucify His Son? Why would God take the, the power and raise Him from the dead? Because I needed a way. Because I'm apart from God in my sin, and God had to make a way because God loved me. So when I see the resurrection, I receive revelation and illumination. Without revelation, we are hopelessly lost. Now look at 2 Corinthians 4. I want to travel through some things here with you. Let's look at this on the screen. And even if our gospel... Now that word gospel in this translation says good news, but the gospel actually means good news. The good news about what? The kingdom of God. Let me, let me help you just a minute. How many of you like to share your faith with others? How many, we, more people should raise their hand. How many of you would like to like to share your faith with others? Okay. How many of you are like, no, they can all just go to hell. I don't care. I really just don't care. Okay. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the good news. It's not the bad news. It's the good news. They already know they're a dirty dog, rotten sinner. You don't have to tell them because they already know. They know how bad they are. Tell them how good God is and how good Jesus is. That's good preaching, amen? So the gospel, the good news that we preach is hidden. Now that word hidden actually means to be covered. It means to be uh, hid, hindered of knowledge. So it is veiled. There's another translation says the gospel that we preach is veiled. It is hidden. It is covered. So notice this. Have you ever wondered why some people don't receive Jesus and they, they just can't see it? Have you ever thought they just can't see it? It's because it is veiled to them. It is covered. It is hidden to them. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Now look at the next verse. Why are they perishing? Because they have no revelation of the resurrection. They have no illumination to the resurrection, and so they are perishing. Satan, now, man, we could spend, we could really mess up your theology here. <laughs> Satan, who is the God, notice little g. Man, I, I got so many places I could go here, but we'll just behave this morning. Satan, who is the God of this world, meaning God gave dominion and authority to Adam and Eve. And when they sinned and committed high treason against the Lord, they gave over that authority to the devil, which is why Jesus had to come. He had to come to take back the authority that rightly belonged to him and to the children of God. That's why we have hurricanes, ladies and gentlemen. God's not mad at the world judging them with hurricanes. We live in a cursed, fallen world. And Satan is the God of this world system. Now, I believe it's Matthew chapter 4. I don't have this in my notes, so don't crucify me if it's Matthew chapter 3, but I really believe it's Matthew chapter 4. Remember when Satan was in the wilderness and uh, he was being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights and, and Satan took him up to the highest pinnacle? And remember what Satan said to Jesus? He said, if you bow down to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. How can you give what's not yours? It is not a temptation if you can't give it. Brooke, if you worship me today... I'll give you a million dollars. No temptation there because she's been to my house. I love my house, nice house, but I don't have a million dollars sitting around. That's not a temptation. 
But for Jesus to actually be tempted, Satan said, I'll give you all the kingdoms. They belong to him. That's why we have problems with countries all over the world. God's not moving countries against countries. Satan is the God of this world system. That's new to some of you. And I I don't want to spend too much time there because it's not really the point here. But the point is Satan has blinded the minds of those who are not believing. Satan, the God of this world system, has hidden the revelation of the resurrection. Now I want you to see this here. That word hidden actually means, uh, the word blinded actually means to darken the mind. So it says blinded in the original language means to darken the mind. I want you to see that phrasing because it's very important. Now, of the light, so they cannot see the light. So their mind is darkened so they can't see the light. How many of you, when you sleep at nighttime, you put the cover over your eyes so you don't see the light? That's what Satan has done to the world. He's put blinded in the... They're like, no, I just sleep out in the middle of the day, your son. If I just sleep during your sermon, Pastor James. I don't need to even close my eyes. I don't need one of those little masks. But Satan has taken the mask and he's put it over the eyes of those who don't believe. There's a reason they don't believe. Don't get mad at them for not believing. Their mind is darkened. They have no revelation, which is why, man, the clock is against me. The clock is against me, which is why we should not just pray for people to be saved. Oh, God, Mary's a dirty, rotten sinner. Would you please save her? You're asking God to save Mary like he doesn't really want to. Like if I pray hard enough, God might send somebody to Mary. No, what we pray is, God, I see that Mary's eyes are blinded. Her mind has been darkened to the revelation of the resurrection. Open her eyes. Illuminate her path. Let her see the glorious light of the gospel. The light of the good news. Having a light is stronger than darkness, praise God. Light is stronger than darkness. I remember as a child, we, we went to a cave and went through a cave. And why you would take an eight-year-old through a cave, I'll never understand. But they would send us and they would put us in this dangerous cave and let us crawl through it. And it's a miracle I'm here today because I'm a little curious. Oh, what is this cliff over here, you know? So we went to this cave and they said, everybody stand very still. Nobody move. And they turned off all the lights in the cave. With 200 boys in a cave. Let's turn off all the lights and see what happens. But they turned off all the lights and then one man lit a match. You could see the entire room from one match. Light is more powerful than darkness. Isn't that good news? Now notice this here. Their minds are dull, blinded. They can't see. And go to the next verse here. I think it's verse, the last part of 4. The next screen says this, to display the, to the display of the glory of Christ. Now I want you to see this here. Their eyes cannot see the light of the good news of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the glory of Christ? It's the resurrection. The glory of Christ is that He came as a man, died for our sins, and that God raised Him from the dead. Without the resurrection, there is no glorious Christ. So their eyes are dark and there's no revelation, no illumination. What is the gospel? Ready? Here we go. Ready? It's God's love. It's how much God loved us. And this is all seen in the resurrection. Now look at Ephesians chapter 1. This is so powerful. This is what the apostle Paul prayed for his church because there's a blockage. Because the minds are dulled. They're hidden from the revelation and illumination of the resurrection, which is the message of the gospel, which is the good news, which is how much God loved us. 
So look what Paul prayed. He continues to ask God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. Why would Paul pray for spiritual wisdom and insight if it's just automatic? Who's he writing to? The church. These are church people. Let me just say, I've been around a lot of church people. They're not always flowing in wisdom and insight. Can I have an amen? How many of you are sitting beside somebody today that maybe is not always flowing in wisdom and insight? Just because you sit in the pew, just because you pull in the parking lot, just because you darken the door doesn't mean you receive wisdom and spiritual insight because there is a force against you receiving wisdom and insight. Satan, the God of this world system, has blinded. He blinds before we receive Christ and he blinds after we've received Christ, which is why so many Christians live a dark, defeated, depraved life because they are still blinded because they are not receiving wisdom and insight. Can I give you a little revelation? You should pray for wisdom and insight. If you are not praying and asking, if Paul could pray and if Paul could ask, then I can pray and I can ask. And if they received, then I can receive. But how many know you have not because you asked not? Some of you are like, that's why I'm so stupid right there. I've not been praying for wisdom and insight. I didn't say that. I'm just repeating what some of you are saying. <laughs> Notice this here. Paul prayed. He asked God that they would get a spiritual wisdom and insight so they might grow in our knowledge of God. Look at verse 18. He said, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light. What are we talking about? Revelation and illumination because of the resurrection. Because of the good news, there comes revelation and illumination. My heart is flooded with light so that I can understand the confident hope. God wants you to understand the hope that we have because of the resurrection. It's been given to those that He called. We're His holy people. We are His rich and glorious inheritance. Look at verse 19. Actually, go back. I'm sorry. Let's go back. i got to do this. Can we go back? All right. Hey, isn't Bethany doing an awesome job at our media today? Jared's been training her, and we're so happy that she's doing so good. I'm very happy that you're doing well. Thank you. Keeps me on track. i got to do this for a minute. i got to follow the Lord here. This is not planned, but I think this is important. Scripture says, oh, this is so powerful. Scripture says that God puts His treasure in earthen vessels, human vessels of, of dirt and clay. Look at your neighbor and say, you're just dirt. <laughs> just, you're just dirt. Well, we are, right? We're all from dust. dust no, no, this is so good. This is going to help somebody. Ready? You are not worthless. You are not just dirt. Because when you believe in Christ, you are His rich and glorious inheritance. So don't think so lowly of yourself. If you're accepted by the best, who cares about the rest? You can't hurt my feelings. I'm His rich and glorious inheritance. Amen? Come on, let's give God thanks for that. That's for somebody today. Don't think of yourself so low. You are God's rich and glorious inheritance. You like that. If you're accepted by the best, who cares about the rest? You can't make me mad. You can't hurt my feelings. God loves me. I'm actually His favorite. I'm just saying. Look at verse 19. I pray also that you would understand the incredible greatness. This is going to get so good here. I pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Now, I want to shock you here with a little word study if you cross-reference that word for power. 
That's the Greek word dunamis. You've all heard that power, dunamis. It's the same word that is used uh, in other places when it talks about God's mighty hand, God's mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So the very power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is now in you who believe. The resurrection power of God, the mighty power that took the stone and moved it away, that raised a dead man to life, that same power now is available. And my prayer today is that you would actually understand that. That you would rise with the resurrection. Say this, say, there's resurrection power in me. There's resurrection power in me. This is the same mighty power. Look at the next verse. That raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. So the first realm of revelation is that we, we grow a knowledge of God. We're flooded with light. We have understanding. We have confidence. We have hope. We have a glorious inheritance. And there's incredibly great power alive on the inside of me. You see how this can help you rise with the resurrection? That's good preaching whether you like it or not. Amen. This is why Satan darkens the mind. Do you know why there's such a barrier for people to believe in Jesus? Because of what I just read to you. Because when you experience revelation and illumination of the resurrection, you rise with the resurrection. And there's great power on the inside of you. All right, number two, we'll probably only get to number two, which means I'll have time to add more next week. <laughs> we'll have 12 rounds of rising with the resurrection. I could only come up with four this week, but I've got a whole other week, praise God. Number two is regeneration and rebirth. Now this, this, this is really profound. I want to help you with this this morning. So we're going to rise with the resurrection. We're going to receive revelation and illumination. Our minds are going to be open. And we're going to see the great power of God that is available to us and our families and our church. That same power is available to our body, to our church family. And revelation of the resurrection leads to regeneration and rebirth. Now regeneration is a big Bible term that we don't use very much in our day. But let me show you two in the Scriptures. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 says this. And I want to read it from my notes because I have a few things that I need to add to it to help explain what it's saying. For we were also once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. Sin is not voluntary. Sin enslaves you. That word enslaved actually means to be held against your will. Have you ever been held against your will? None of us in the room to this point, unless you've maybe been incarcerated, we could say, and don't raise your hand on that, praise the Lord. None of us can say that we've been enslaved to various uh, lusts, meaning held against our will in such a way, because most of us are believers and we know the freedom in Christ. But before Christ, we were foolish, we were disobedient, we were deceived, we were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. We spent our life in malice and envy, Hateful, hating one another. Did y'all see that? Hateful? Did y'all see that? You know, that's a quality of darkness. Hateful. Next time somebody's being hateful, say, you're just being of the devil, praise God. Don't judge me. I'm not judging you. Look what the Bible says. I'm, when you are hateful and envy, hating one another, this is pre-revelation of the resurrection. So we should be joyful. Can I see everybody's joyful face this morning? We're not going to be hateful anymore. Now notice this here. I want you to see this in verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior 
and His love for mankind appeared. When did the kindness of God appear? In Jesus Christ. When did we see the consummation of the kindness of of God? And when did we see the true proof of God's love for mankind? When He allowed His Son to die and be raised from the dead. So notice this here in verse 5. God saved us not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, meaning God did not save you because you're good enough, because you're pretty. Or if you're ugly, you don't make the cut. How many know some of us would be in trouble? Praise God. God doesn't save us based on what we do or ugly or small or tall or any of that. He saves us according to His mercy. Now notice this wording here. Ready? Here we go. By the washing of regeneration. So revelation of the resurrection leads me to a good God who would forgive me of my sin and that leads me to regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 6. Whom God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 7. So that we are now justified by His grace we would be made heirs according to eternal life. Now let me break this down for just a minute. Bethany, if you could go back to verse 5, I want you to see this washing of regeneration. That is, that is a compound Greek word in the original language, and it is palingenesia. Palingenesia is made of two words. That's where we get the word regeneration. The first word is genesis, which means beginning or origin, means the start of a thing. And then the word palin actually means again or anew. So palingenesia means to take something back to its origin, to take something back to the beginning, to take something back to its original state. And so remember the authority that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden? Remember unbroken fellowship with God? Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. God heard, Adam heard God's voice in the garden. They had such a fellowship. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no discouragement. They had pure, unbroken fellowship with God. So palingenesia, God says, I'm going to regenerate. I'm going to take you back in your spirit to the original intent, back to the very beginning. Now, our bodies don't always catch up to that. Our bodies don't always line up with that, which is why in the resurrection, we're going to get a new body. How many of you are pretty excited about a new body? I'm very excited about a new body. I'll be leaping. You think I've got energy now? You just wait till you see my new glorified body. So palingenesia, to regenerate. It means to rebirth, meaning in your spirit. When you receive revelation of the resurrection in your spirit, God takes you back to the very beginning. He turns back the clock. And in your spirit, you are right with God. In your spirit is where you receive from God. So to be born into God's kingdom, to be rebirthed into the kingdom of God, is where God bestows on the believer new life. Just like when you were born. How many of you were born? Hundred percent. Just like when you were born, you inherited the sin nature. Let me prove it. Did you have to teach your children how to lie? Did you have to teach your children how to punch? Just the other day, true story. I don't know what I've got on my hands here. I'm praying over it now. I have a two-year-old who's just a wild little pistol, and I have a three-year-old who's an even wilder pistol. And so, uh, how does it go? Um, Tate, my little two-year-old, had this little radio, and he was playing music. The kid loves music. He may take Candy's job one day. You better watch out. He's coming after your job. (laughs) And so Tate loves music. He's got this little radio. And Lillian, because she's the big sister, she just comes up and just takes the radio. And she starts walking off. 
Tate levels her. Just boom, like a football tackle. I was like, get her, get her, first down, stop, touchdown. You know, all this stuff. He's safe. I mean, Tate just absolutely floored Lily. She's laying on the ground like, get off me, Tate. Get off me. I I swear, I saw an elbow in there. I mean, (laughs) listen, I didn't have to teach my son how to do that. Why? Because of the sin nature. And after I watched it, we watched it for a minute. We did have to correct him. But it was so fun to watch. It's like, this is awesome. And then then the other day, (laughs) come to our church and learn how to be a good parent. Praise God. (laughs) Then the other day, this, here's another, I'm going to tell you another parenting story. I mean, then the other day, Tate bit Lillian. And I said, Lillian, next time he bites you, just punch him. <laughs> he won't do it anymore, praise God. Really, I'm just teasing. Don't call the law on me. I'm just teasing. But we really do follow biblical parenting here at our church, praise the Lord. My point is that I didn't have to teach them how to do that. I didn't have to teach Tate to bite. I didn't have to teach Ava know how to lie. It's our sin nature because they were born when you're rebirthed into the kingdom of God, when you receive a revelation of the resurrection, which is the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that I was dead in my sin, I was subject to God's wrath, but by God's mercy, He made a way, and I received that revelation and illumination unto God's power and His Spirit. I am regenerated. My spirit is turned back. I get new life. The old sin nature is gone, and now... I can walk in fellowship with God. Isn't that powerful? So I want to leave you with that this morning because I don't want to get into too much. But just look at the next screen. I want to just whet your appetite just a little bit. And I really think we'll probably have three or four more by Sunday. So you've got to please come back. Look at number three. When I receive revelation illumination, it leads to regeneration. Going back to the original intent. I can reactivate God's promises. This is where it gets good. But this is also where I close for today. So you have to come back next week. Because we're going to reactivate. We're going to reclaim God's promises in our life because of the resurrection. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Bruce, if you'll come.